You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Hey, welcome to your live radio show here. You are with your host for the next 30 minutes, Dr. Jeff Werber, host of Ask the Best with Dr. Jeff, the only live call-in radio show here on Pet Life Radio. The keywords, live and call-in, we want to hear from you. Easy to get me, area code 877-385. There's the 8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. You can also join us here live on Google Hangouts. Just log on to Pet Life Radio here on the internet. You can scroll the Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff show, and there's going to be a Google Hangout link. Click on a link, and you can join us live. Have your pet with you. You can show off your pet or pets, if the case may be, and um, ask anything you want. We can talk about anything you want about your pets. Of course, I always have an agenda, but I'm willing to easily break the agenda as we need to. I want to thank our sponsors, Brevecto, which Brevecto is my new favorite flea and tick control it is one chewable, tasty chewable that is good for three months, 12 weeks of protection against fleas and ticks. And Save This Life Microchip, the best innovative uh, eye microchips out there. And as I keep threatening, we are at some point, hopefully soon, having Mr. Chance White on, who is the founder and the inventor of this microchip concept. And it's really, really good. It's, more, uh, it's more the one that I use in my practice all the time. And of course, Kong Veterinary Products and More Than a Cone, which is basically raising awareness of animal wellness through the arts. So as I always like to do, I have had an opportunity to, you know, I get a couple of sites that I am a member of and I get these updates and a lot of, you know, interesting, cute things that happen all the time. And I like to go through them. And um, so I'm going to share some of those with you. By the way, once again, 877-385-8882, break in any time. And if you have anything you wanted to add or I mention something that might touch you in that place where you say, wait a second, that, that, that happened to me, or, or, or I, I know such a story, or whatever the case may be, now is the time to join us here live. Then share it with everybody else. Share it with all our listeners slash viewers here on our Google Hangouts link simulcast, if you will. So uh, this I thought was interesting. And you know, when we think of the canine ancestor in the family of the Canidae, we think of wolves. And in fact, yes, there uh, is a relation and our dog breeds have really genetically related to the wolf and how the process came where we can have so many variations of dog breeds that have all originated in essence from the same ancestor is, is mind blowing. And this concept of evolution has taken thousands of years. But I just think it is fascinating. Well, anyway, the northern breeds of dogs, and you can certainly agree, the dogs like the, the Huskies and the Malamutes and the Samoyeds, they kind of resemble the Arctic wolf, in essence, more than many of the other dogs. I mean, certainly more than a Shih Tzu or a Las Apso or a Poodle. And uh, what they found that these dogs that are more closely genetically related to their wolf ancestor have more superior aerobic endurance and athleticism compared to those dogs that are farther removed from that evolutionary chain, such as your hounds or even your retrievers. So no wonder that, for example, the Husky and the Malamute has, is such a, a major dog as far as sled dogs. A, they can handle 
the cold, and B, they have amazing endurance, aerobic endurance. So even when they are at very high elevations where the air is very thin, they seem to perform extremely well. Anyway, I thought that was pretty interesting. Another interesting thing, I'm sure all of us have, well, maybe not all of us, but certainly I have, ever been licked by a cat where, I mean, cats are not like lickers like dogs, but they do lick. And you know that their tongue is like sandpaper. And the tongue has little barbs. And what's interesting is they are sort of very flexible and they can actually change direction. And researchers have been studying. I mean, what else? Why not? I mean, they study so many different things. Let's study cat tongues. Can you imagine the guy that woke up in the morning saying, you know what? I'm going to study a cat tongue today. So what they find is that they're interested in how these little flexible hooks that cats have on their tongues function to be able to grab things. And yet in one direction, they're so smooth. And in the other direction, they can actually grab things, which makes them so effective at grooming themselves. They don't actually have to bite their mats off. And that's why cats spend so much time grooming themselves. Those little barbs are almost act like comb. They go sift through the hair. They separate. They pull out the mats. It's as if you're using a comb. And um, so they think that their, their fascination is that can they use this type of technology? Can they create it in other types of instruments that can help medicine? And uh, I thought that was pretty interesting. Now, often, as we know, when it comes to many, many things and medicines on drugs on the market, animals are unfortunately tested. You know, I get it. They use lab animals and, and it's not something they always want to test on a person. But what we also learn is that when it comes to certain areas like cancer, cancer research, we as veterinarians and in veterinary medicine, we learn from that which is going on in people. And many, that's why so many of the drugs are identical, similar. We use the same kinds of drugs for treating cancer. Well, the University of Georgia does have a vet, vet school. They are studying this new cancer drug that has been used very successfully in dogs. And it's called Hyla-Plat, H-Y-L-A-P-L-A-T, Hyla-Plat. And it's an injection that they inject directly into the cancer cells. And it has shown a lot of promise in shrinking and sometimes eliminating the cancer. And the testing has been so effective that now they're testing it in the medical school as well. So here's a situation where we actually, veterinarians were using it first. Veterinarians saw the success in treating cancer, and now they're going to use the same cancer drug that they use in dogs, and they're testing it out in people. So, uh, you know, we can tempt them too. And we've talked about this before. When it comes to the RNA viruses like leukemia virus in cats and the immunodeficiency virus, the FIV in cats, which is a very close first cousin to the HIV, that both research entities from the human side and the veterinary side, of course, are working on vaccine protection. The very nature of an RNA virus, which sort of is immunosuppressive, making a vaccine very difficult because in, in with the vaccine, you're trying to stimulate an immune response. And yet the very nature of, of the virus is immunosuppressive. So you're giving, the key is trying to create a vaccine and manipulate the virus itself, the antigenicity remaining intact, yet the function becoming affected where it won't cause this immunosuppression. So it's quite the challenge, but we know that whoever gets there first, whether it's the human side, whether it's the veterinary side, whether it's them collaborating and working together, it's going to help both the humans and the cats as well. I thought this was interesting that the veterinary school in Saskatchewan at University of Saskatchewan in Saskatoon, Canada, 
called Western University, the Western College of Veterinary Medicine. Well, they treated a dog that was stuck for almost four weeks, 27 days in a well. And it was actually found by another dog. And the dog survived 27 days. Now, certainly, you know, what is in a well? Well, certainly water. Well, we know that that is essential because there's no way this dog or any dog or any person is going to survive 27 days without water. But the fact is that somehow this dog maybe found other things to eat or munch on or protein in the, in the well other than just the water. But this dog was found 27 days later, treated, and then out. Uh, admittedly, I should preface this. The dog was missing for 27 days. They found it in a well. They don't know for sure that it was actually in the well for 27 days. There's no way to tell that. But I just thought that was pretty cool. And this is sad, but amazing at the same time. And that is that there was a seal that was in the Smithsonian National Zoo, and it finally died at 43 years of age. That's amazing. The oldest gray seal that has ever been under human care. So that's just pretty amazing. I don't, I can't imagine, imagine that them, they're able to live much longer than that, but 43 years. And this, interestingly, this seal a real literally gray seal was trained by the Navy and it actually performed certain military functions of swimming. It learned how to unscrew things. I mean, that's pretty amazing. However, when you think about it, this truly was a Navy seal. So uh, anyway, oh, one last thing. And with holidays coming up and we need to uh, make this very, very clear. And we're going to talk about this probably coming out of the break as well, because I hear so much about this and it is so frustrating. For me, and I'm sure for many of you, and I'm sure you've heard this before, and that is, as much as we like to make people happy, and as wonderful a feeling it is to give a gift, and even a gift that keeps on giving, but not a good idea to give a live pet to someone as a gift. Now, there are some guidelines we're going to talk about as soon as we come out of a break, but the bottom line is be very, very, very careful, and we'll talk about how you are to be careful, but don't think that, oh, I know our friends, the Smiths, they have two little kids and, oh, but wouldn't it be great for them to have a dog? Why got it. Let's get them a dog for Christmas. That would be the best. Well, not so fast. It's not necessarily the best. So uh, we're going to talk about that in just a second. So anyway, here we are at that halfway point in our show. Don't go away. We're going to be right back after these short messages. And please think about, let's talk about this, giving gifts as pets. That's a great subject. Talk about it. It reached me here at or live on Google Hangouts. Don't go away. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Put a puppy under the Christmas tree. Wait. You read it, not feed it. It's the dog with the opposable thumb, an accidental love story. The fun new book by award-winning author, Mark Barkowitz. When an accidentally DNA-altered puppy is born with a thumb, his lovelorn grad student caretaker devises a strategy to achieve their Kardashian-like fame and fortune. It's funny, intelligent, and incredibly unique. And 20% of book sales benefit the Pasadena Humane Society and SPCA. The Dog with the Opposable Thumb is available now through Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and MarkBark.org. Thumbs up to a howling fun book for the holidays. The Dog with the Opposable Thumb. Order yours now. 
It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. designerpetsweaters.com As a dog, I know a lot about fleas and ticks, so trust me when I say no other tasty chew protects dogs as long as Brevecto. One Brevecto chew keeps fleas and ticks away for up to 12 weeks. Be a good human and ask your vet about Brevecto. Brevecto may cause vomiting. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. And welcome back. You're here live with Dr. Jeff. Here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vet to Dr. Jeff. And before the break, we were bringing up the subject of gifts. And do you, should you give a pet, a live pet, as a gift? And the short answer is no. Now, there, of course, are exceptions. And when you are going to do it, first of all, here's some the ways that you can make it work. Number one, you know, pets are a pretty personal thing. So, you know, when you buy clothing for someone and they don't like it because you made a wrong choice, it doesn't fit them properly, it, uh, it's not the right color, whatever. So what do they do is you, you have that little receipt that goes in, not the price receipt, but the store receipt, and they go back and they exchange it or they return it for store credit. I mean, and they don't want to tell you because they don't hurt your feelings, but trust me, they're not always keeping it. Now, you can't necessarily do that with a pet. So now what? So when it doesn't work out, that poor little guy or girl might end up in a shelter somewhere. So though the thought was a good thought, you got to be really careful. So first of all, when you're going to do it, first make sure that the intended recipient is actually in the market for a pet. That's number one. Number two, make sure you know what they want or take somebody along with you. The surprise for the kids will still be great, but you want to make sure it's the right fit. Just like the clothing has to fit, the pet has to fit. It has to fit by what it looks like. Look at the different varieties of breeds. It has to fit by by size, by activity level, by coat quality, how much brushing, how, how, all these things you have to take into consideration when somebody's looking or you know they actually want the pet, but you can't make the decision for them. Secondly, or thirdly, I should say, is even if you got all those green lights, yes, they want it for sure. Yes, they helped you pick it out. And you know exactly what you're going to get. It's not a good idea to give it during the holiday. You want to do it right after the festivities. Why? Regardless of how exciting it's going to be, especially if you're getting a pet for kids and a family, there are a lot of other exciting things happening during the holidays as well. So here you're going to get this nice new pet that might end up taking a backseat and might not get the care or the attention it's going to deserve, which is going to lose its charm when it comes to the kids. So our recommendations are don't ever do it without really, really intense accurate preparation. Make sure you enlist the help of someone from the family to whom this pet is going to go. Make the right decisions about the type of pet, the breed, the species even, and all the specific details of the pet. And then finally, 
even if you're going to go and you get the green light, you want to make sure that it is not done during a time that the kids' attentions are drawn elsewhere or the family's attentions or, or they're maybe going to be on, away on a trip and you didn't know that the, the last the, you know, few days of the holiday, they're not going to be there. So you have to take all these things into consideration. And if you're going to do, make it the right decision, do it. Not only make the right decision, but do it right. I had to put a dog down this week. And, uh, you know, it, it was, you know, one of those, these cases and really sort of brought to light something that uh, I really wanted to share and, and talk about. And that, that is that here's a dog that was ADR, ain't doing right, a 12-year-old dog and really hadn't been doing well for a while at home, brings it to us. And of course, the first thing we do, we have an older dog. Let's take some x-rays. Let's do some blood work. Let's see what's going on. And the, uh, X-rays were totally normal. And the blood work, except for maybe one or two and uh, levels, enzyme levels that were minimally elevated, really pointed to nothing. So, but yet you look at this dog and clearly there is something. So one of the first things that, you know, I want to, to make sure that everyone understands is that not every disease is going to be reflected by changes in blood work and or radiographs. And I'm going to add one thing to that list, ultrasound. So you can have a, an animal that a particular system is breaking down that may not show up on an x-ray or an ultrasound and also may not even cause any blood abnormalities. So basically, all those tests you're doing aren't going to help you very much. And then you have to start thinking about other possibilities based on the clinical signs. And this particular dog had clinical signs of something intestinal. So remember, unless you have a really, really good ultrasonographer or or ultrasound machine, you may not pick up a mass inside the lumen of a bowel loop or a thickening or intestinal lymphoma. So there are things that may not be obvious and you may have to do some further diagnostic testing. Then you are going to get to that in a minute. And certainly if it were that, which I do believe it was in hindsight, it would not show. There's no blood abnormality necessarily with that. And until, you know, they might get a little malnourished or get dehydrated, but we had the dog on fluids. So that never showed up. But you get to a point when it comes to tests and you have to say to yourself, are first, are all tests worth doing? And that's a really, really tough question because the answer is it all depends on so many different factors. It depends on where you are in the diagnostic game, where the clients are both emotionally and financially into this game. And what yield do we expect? And I often say sometimes that if, if the result of a test is not going to change your course, then don't do the test. And by that, I mean this. Let's say you already know philosophically from the discussions you have with a client, you're going through all of the potentials, the possibilities. You've narrowed down a lot of things from the tests that you have done. And now you say, you know what, this is either this is something really bad. And my fear is, based on the, this clinical science at this point, that we're dealing with some sort of cancer. Would you treat cancer? Would you want to put subject your pet to the chemo or the radiation, depending on, of course, the cancer, and, or the surgery, extensive surgery, or the exploratory? And if their answer is no, they just don't want to do that, and they see the pet is clearly suffering and going downhill, don't, don't do that test, and don't let anybody talk into it, unless you're going to be prepared to utilize the answers from that test and take it to the next level. You know, I always feel that when it comes to tests, I, I'm so against these places that want to do every single test in the book, even for testing for some really weird esoteric conditions before ruling out those that are much more common. 
For example, I live by the KISS rule, which is keep it simple, stupid, that you want to obviously go with the most obvious. And I've, I've mentioned this analogy so many times on the show, but for those of you who are new to the show, it's a little riddle that obviously makes sense here in California, but it, it, you can come up with the same riddle anywhere. And that is, if you're running along the beach in Malibu, California, and you hear hoofbeats chasing you from behind, what are you thinking, horses or zebras? And obviously the answer is horses. Well, then why are you looking for the zebra until you've ruled out all the horses? Every disease that we know, every condition, every symptom, there are the more obvious conditions that might cause that disease or symptom, the more obvious disease, then the real ones that are really esoteric, where you say, God, you know, there is a disease that I read about. I've never seen it, but I know it's in the textbooks. We should test for that now. No, you shouldn't. You should wait until you've tested all the really obvious things first. And then if every one of those comes back normal, then you need to start thinking out of the box. And as I always say, I am not impressed by a doctor who can run every single test in the book and give me the right answer. However, I am very impressed by the doctor who can't run every test in the book for whatever reason, but still gives me the right answer. What does that mean? That means that that's a doctor who actually uses head to think, to reason, to analyze, and not just said, well, let's, let's run this test, and let's spend another $200 and spend that test, and let's spend $1,000 here and do that test. Yeah, a monkey can do that, but we're talking, how do you sit down, evaluate all of the symptoms, all of the signs, the test results that you get back, and say to yourself, well, you know, we can eliminate X, Y, and Z because... If the dog had X, Y, or Z, he or she would also most likely be doing whatever. And he's not. She's not. So therefore, let's again, we learn over time, not don't necessarily eliminate everything, but put it way down. And what I'm getting at is when you have pets and you are faced with your pets having major issues, certainly towards the end of life, their latter years, their senior years, or even middle age, you have to think, what could it be? What is the more likely cause? What is the problem that most dogs this age might get? Let's test for those first. And then if those all come back, then we'll go to the next tier. And let's test for those. And then maybe the next tier. But, Doc, if we're getting to the point where our only answer is going to come from a brain scan, and my dog is 13 or 14, what am I going to do? I'm going to do brain surgery? Am I going to do radiation on a dog this age when he's already got brain lesions? The answer is probably not. I wouldn't. So, then, you know what? We're at the point now, I don't need that test because you've ruled out everything else that's logical and I don't want to go there. And you know what? You wouldn't be wrong. So this is a, have been, as many of you who listen to me, a, a pet peeve of mine that veterinary medicine is not one size fits all. We have to evaluate every single case individually and not just the pet standing or sitting before us, but also the family, the pet parents. And Everyone's different. And what might one might want to do, another one might not want to do. So we can't, we have to individualize every single case from the family situation to the pet situation to financial situation to the age. I mean, all these factors go into play. Of course, I would say age is not a disease, but it's certainly something we have to respect and consider when making our treatment decisions. Anyway, thanks for joining. Thanks for listening to me on my soapbox. If you have any questions about this, or if you ever having an issue with your pet that is becoming a diagnostic challenge and you want some help, please, you can get a hold of me here live on the show, 877-385-8882. Join us on Google Hangouts or send me an email to drjeff, Dr. Jeff at petliferadio.com. Thanks again to Brevecto. 
to Save This Life Microchip to More Than a Cone. And we will see you here next week. Have a great week. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.